right, hey, if you are uh, just joining us this morning, we're in the series in the book of Galatians that we've called Stay the Course. And uh, this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, 67 in the House Bible. 567 in the House Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take it with you when you leave here. So thanks for being with us this morning. And uh, if you've been here over the last few months and you've stayed the course with us, you may have noticed that we've basically preached the same sermon every week. Right? The first four chapters of Galatians are Paul beating the same drum over and over and over again. Keeping the same song on repeat. It just keeps rolling. And it's the song of the gospel of Jesus alone. Of faith alone. That's been the sermon every week since September. Now, if you're tired of listening to that song on repeat, I have good news and bad news for you this morning. Okay? The bad news is that that is not about to change today. There is only one song in the Christian life and it is the song of the gospel. And it's a song that we never outgrow and we never leave behind. And since we're so prone to forget it, it's a song that we need to keep on repeat and we need to keep listening to so that we remember it. So the bad news, so to speak, is that we never change the song. Okay? But there's good news too. And, and really even that bad news is good news, right? But the, the good news is that Today, after three months of basically the same sermon, we finally get to start to dance. Because chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians is where Paul starts to give us the steps that go with the dance of the Christian life. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to have a little family dance lesson. Y'all ready? Okay. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul's not playing here. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, as we open this text today, I pray you would speak to us. Would you teach us, open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. Give us ears to hear. We ask that you would, you would work in this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've got uh, 15 verses to walk through here. But we need to sit in the first half of the first one for a minute before we get moving too fast. Verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. 
This is a summary statement of the whole book of Galatians. And it's, and it's really the big idea of the book and the big idea of this message this morning. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul pictures people here, apart from Christ, as slaves shackled by the chains of performance. It might be the religious performance where you run on the treadmill of moral behavior to earn the approval of God. Or it might be non-religious performance where you run on the treadmill of achievement trying to earn the approval of the people around you. But in any case, apart from Christ, so many of us live our lives as slaves to performance. We run and run and run, always trying to get ahead, to prove ourselves, to be impressive, to build a resume, only to find over and over again that it's never quite enough. We're slaves to our performance. And this is where Christianity is so utterly unique among world religions. Religion in general always tells you that you need to do more. But Christianity fundamentally is not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for you. And what Christ has done, what Paul says here, is that Christ has set us free. On the cross, Jesus paid the price to purchase us out of the shackles of slavery and to make us full members of God's family. We've been adopted by God and we get all the rights and privileges that come with that adoption. God is our dad and we get access to him now and for eternity. We're fully in the family through faith in Christ. We're not slaves anymore because Christ has set us free to live a life of freedom in God's family. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the song of the Christian life. Now up to this point in Galatians, Paul literally hasn't told us to do anything. You may have noticed that there have been zero commands in the whole book so far. Four chapters of music with no dance steps at all. And that's on purpose because that's how the Christian life works. The indicative always precedes the imperative. What is true always comes before what to do. That's the logic of Christianity. God has done this for you, therefore this is how you respond. The music comes before the dance. And it doesn't come so you can earn the place in the family. It comes precisely because you're already in the family. Okay? So because you're in the family, because you're free, then you get dance steps. And once you hear the music, that beautiful music, it spurs you on to dance. That's the gospel freedom for which Christ has set us free. And we're going to look at the dance steps a little further down. But before we get to the specific dance steps, there are two major ways that we can get the whole dance wrong that Paul addresses next in our passage. And I'm going to change the metaphor on us so we can get what Paul's really talking about here, okay? So about 10 years ago now, I spent a summer in in, uh, Colorado. And uh, when I was out there, I I became friends with a group of guys who were decidedly more outdoorsy than I was. Okay, so I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and we had hills. And in Colorado, they have what you call mountains. And there's a difference between those two things. Here in Chicago, we have neither. But I became friends with these guys, and they were pretty adventurous. They'd spent their lives hiking and climbing. And they said, hey, we're going to go climb Long's Peak. You want to come with us? And I said, what's Long's Peak? And they said, it's the tallest mountain in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's 14,259 feet tall. It's one of the famous Colorado 14ers. And uh, this thing is a beast, right? Like, it takes you 13 hours to climb the thing up and down. And uh, you have to be down before noon. You have to be coming down the mountain and below the tree line because as soon as afternoon hits, storms blow in that will literally kill you if you're still exposed up on top of the rock face of the mountain. They call them the Rockies for a reason. So I decide, this sounds like fun. I'll go with you. Let's do it. So I jump in on this adventure. 
And we start at like three in the morning. We climb up this mountain. And about six hours later, we reach this crucial juncture on the mountain called the keyhole. And the keyhole, uh, you can see it up here. It's that little notch off to the side. The keyhole is this place where you have to cross over from the front side of the mountain to the back side of the mountain in order to follow the trail and get up to the top. And here's the thing about the keyhole. When you're there, there are two really clear ways that you can fall off the mountain. You can fall off the mountain to the left and you can fall off the mountain to the right. But you can fall off the mountain. And so when you're at the keyhole, you've got to be really careful to stand firm and to stay the course on the path. Because if you don't, you risk the doom of falling off a mountain. Okay? So, with that in mind, look at verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. So Paul gives us the first command in the whole book of Galatians. And he's saying, stand firm. What he's saying is that if you're a believer in Christ, then you're on this trail up the mountain. You're on a trail of freedom that leads to the summit where you get a panoramic view of the, of the world. You get to reach the top and enjoy the glory of it. You're on this trail of freedom that leads up there. But you need to protect that freedom. You need to stand firm when you get to a place like the keyhole and be careful that you don't fall off the mountain. Because just like with the keyhole at Long's Peak, there are two cliffs that we can fall off of in the Christian life. And they're the two cliffs that Paul is going to talk about in the next section of our passage. So, the first cliff is the cliff on the right. And it's the cliff of legalism. Now, immediately after this command to stand firm, Paul adds another command. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, don't go back to relying on your own performance. The particular issue for the Galatians was the practice of circumcision. Now, y'all know what circumcision is? If you're not familiar, it's where, where a dude gets a little snip-snip down in his private areas. That's what circumcision is, okay? And uh, for the Jews, circumcision was the way that you knew that somebody was in the family. It originated when God made a covenant with Abraham back in the book of Genesis. And, and it was designed to be this uh, outward symbol of an inward commitment and relationship with God. But over time, as is often the case with religious symbols, the significance of it morphed. And so, and so instead of circumcision being the sign of an, of an inward reality, it became almost a, a practice, a means by which people thought they could gain approval from God. Why, by the way that they would earn relationship with God. It became, uh, in essence for the Galatians even, it, it was a symbol of the Jesus plus religion that was preached by the false teachers there. And the motto of those false teachers was that unless you're circumcised and keep the law, you can't be saved. Faith in Christ alone is not enough. You need to have faith and you need to perform too. And so this is what we would call legalism today. Legalism is depending on the law or on your own performance for your standing with God instead of depending on Christ. Legalism says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. In other words, legalism is what happens when we approach God the way that we approach Santa Claus. You know how it works with Santa, right? Uh, you get presents if you're nice, and you get coal in your stocking if you're naughty. It's all about your performance. Santa's always watching, and you better keep in line. And we so easily start to approach God that same way. 
We make our lists of what good Christians do and don't do, and then we judge others based on those lists. So, so the nice list is made up of people who show up to church every week and who tithe a lot. Um, people who take communion or, or people who use the right Bible translation or who only read Tim Keller books or who only vote Republican or whatever. And the naughty list is made up of everybody else, those people who don't do the rules that we've put in place. Legalism happens when we treat God like Santa Claus. And when we expect presents for doing good and punishments for doing bad, when we judge those who don't keep our rules and we look down our noses at those we deem naughty. But look at what Paul says about legalism here. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you rely on your performance, Christ will be of no advantage to you. None. So for Paul, it's either circumcision or Christ, works or faith, your performance or Jesus' performance. It's an either-or proposition. It's not both. You can't rely on the law and rely on faith in Christ at the same time. And Christ only benefits people who rely on him. And so if you're going to rely on your performance, then you aren't relying on Christ. And so Christ cannot benefit you then. If you're going to be a legalist, you've got no chance. He goes on, verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You've got about a thousand. You've got to do it all. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. In other words, if you're going to rely on cutting off some skin for your acceptance from God, you're going to find yourself cut off from God. If you're going to rely on your performance for your standing with God, then you're going to find yourself falling off the cliff. Paul is so serious about this that he makes one of the most aggressive statements in the Bible in verse 12. He's talking about the false teachers who are preaching this false gospel to the Galatians. And he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Look, you want to cut off some foreskin. You want to rely on cutting some stuff off for, and your performance there for your standing with God? Well, you better go a lot farther than that. Just go ahead and cut the whole thing off. Take this seriously. Don't play around and just cut off a little piece. Take it all. Here's the point he's making. Y'all, legalism doesn't work. God is not like Santa Claus. That's not how he operates. Legalism leads you off the path of the Christian life and down the cliff on the right. If you're relying on your own performance, if you're relying on works of the law, you need to know today that you are in danger of falling off that spiritual cliff. Now Paul wraps up this rant against legalism with a reminder in verse 13 of the song, of the good news. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. That's the song of the Christian life. It's the song of freedom, not of slavery. You are free from the law. And so to quote the great William Wallace, Braveheart, you have come to the fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do with that freedom? You like my Scottish accent? Come on. It's almost Irish, right, Phil? But that's the question on the table once you deal with the cliff of legalism. What do you do with your freedom? And there's an understandable concern that freedom will be abused. 
Like if we tell people, hey, you're totally free from the law. You don't have to obey the law. Then won't they just go off and do whatever the heck they want to do? Don't we need the law to keep people in line? Well, at this point, Paul, Paul turns his focus from legalism to, to a second cliff. And we need to look at it. And it's the cliff on the left. And we'll call this one the cliff of license. You have legalism over here and you have license over here. And license is the use of freedom for self-indulgence. License says, I'm accepted no matter what. Therefore, I don't have to obey. I'm free so I can do whatever I want to do. And look at what Paul says in verse 13 about license. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is our fallen human nature. It's it's the center of all human pride and self-indulgence. It's our appetites and our lusts and our basest desires. Paul actually spells out the works of the flesh a few verses on in verses 19 through 21 of chapter 5. There's sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and in case all that doesn't cover it, things like these. That's the flesh. And the word opportunity in verse 13 is a word that means the base of operations. So you can think about it as a springboard or a launching pad. What Paul's saying is don't use your freedom as a launch site for the rocket of your flesh to take off. He knows that because we're not under the law, there's a temptation to use our freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. To live out all those appetites and lusts and the base desires inside of us all the way to the full. There's no law stopping me and I want to do it, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And in all honesty, this is really the ethic of our age. This is the world we live in. What our culture tells us is that what we need to do is we need to look deep inside of ourselves and find whatever desires we really have deep down inside. And we need to draw those out and then we need to express them. Whatever's inside of us is good and we have to to let it it go. We have to to live. So what do you really want to be? What do you really want to do? Express it. You do you. You write your own story. You're the captain of your ship. You're the master of your fate. You're the only judge of your life. That's the message we get from our culture. In some ways, it sounds really appealing. But in real life, there are huge problems with an ethic of license like that. For starters, when you use your your freedom as a launching pad for doing whatever you want, in reality, you don't end up being free at all. You feel free to say yes to anything, but you can't say no to anything. So for example, an alcoholic feels totally free to drink, but an alcoholic is not free to say no to drink. The porn addict is free to watch all the porn that he wants, but he's not free to walk in purity. The teenager is free to constantly check her social media feed, but she's not free to put the phone away and enjoy a conversation. The angry dude on Lakeshore Drive, he's free to rage and lay on the horn. But but he's not free to be peaceful and calm as he drives to work. The gossip is free to talk. But she's not free to keep her mouth shut. If you can't say no, you're not really free at all. 
And when you use your freedom as a launching pad for the flesh, what you end up doing is you just launch yourself off the cliff of license and you end up right back in slavery where you started. It's not slavery to performance anymore, but now it's a slavery to your appetites. It's still slavery either way, though. And you know what happens when everyone in a community just does what they want to do all the time? Look at verse 15. This is the result of license lived out to the full. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. When you follow your appetites with no restraint, you end up eating everyone around you. You're a slave to your appetite and everyone and everything else just becomes a good for your consumption. So you can think about the problem with license like this. Imagine you're a fish. And you hear this gospel of freedom. You're free now. You throw off all constraints. And and as a fish, you've always felt really constrained by the water that you swim in. And so you say, man, you know what I've always wanted to do? I saw this movie once about a mermaid who got some legs and walked around in the streets. Man, Ariel is my hero. And I just want to go up on the land. And so this fish with your newfound freedom, you just jump right out of the water and you go up on shore. Now, how's that going to go for you? Right, like that, that's not going to end well, right? Because the thing about that water that constrains you is that water that constrains you is the very thing that gives you life. When you're in that water, you are more free than you could ever possibly be anywhere else. You need the water to live. You need the water for life. And it's the same way with us. When we throw off all moral constraints, when we live an ethic of license, what it does is it, it ends up in destruction. It's destructive for us and it's destructive for the world around us. And so when Paul talks about freedom, he's definitely not talking about license. So don't use your freedom as a license to indulge the appetites of your flesh. If you do, you'll end up right back in shackles and you'll do a whole lot of damage to yourself and to others along the way. So the point that Paul is making in this whole passage is that the way of the Christian life is neither legalistic law-keeping on this side, nor licentious law-breaking on this side. It's not either of those things. So often when we think about ways that we can live, we think there are just two options. Either I can be religious or I can be not religious. I can live by the laws of God or I can live apart from the laws of God. But this passage shows us that in fact there are actually three ways to live. Because what Paul is saying is that Christianity is not religion or irreligion. It's not legalism or license. It is a third thing altogether. It's the gospel. And the gospel doesn't say, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Nor does it say, I'm always accepted, so I don't have to obey. What the gospel says is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And in this way, Christianity is this third thing. An altogether different thing from religion or irreligion, from legalism or license. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Paul talks about the offense of the cross. You see, the cross offended people in Paul's day. And the cross offends people in our day too. Because what the cross does is it calls out both religious people on the right and irreligious people on the left. The cross offends religious people by telling them that their religion can't save them. 
And it calls out, it offends irreligious people over here by telling them that their sin is such an affront to God that it deserves death. So regardless of whether you're religious or irreligious, the cross calls you out and says, you need a savior. You can't save yourself. You need Jesus. And that message is offensive because it's calling you out wherever you're at. But the good news is that the cross doesn't just call you out, but it also offers this third way, this better way. It offers you gospel. And when we fall off the cliffs of legalism or license, it's ultimately because we don't understand the gospel. Because the good news of the gospel is that on that cross, Jesus Christ paid the full price for our sins. Our sins of legalism where we've pridefully relied on our own performance and our sins of license where we've indulged all the desires and appetites of our flesh. Jesus paid the full price to buy us out of slavery and to make us full members of God's family. And it is for freedom that you have been set free. That's the good news. So what do you do with your freedom? What does life look like in the family? Well, this is where we get to the dance steps of the Christian life. Because when you really hear that sweet music of the gospel, it starts you dancing the dance of faith. You know how it happens when you hear a great song and you just start tapping your foot along to it. And then you find yourself, you're bobbing your head and you're moving your hips and all of a sudden you're just dancing because you hear the music and you can't help yourself. That's how it works. The music just gets you dancing. And the rest of the book of Galatians is going to lay out all the specific dance steps. But what we're going to see here in the last few minutes as we look at the rest of our text, we're going to get to see the major movement of this beautiful dance. The movement that we get caught up in as we live the gospel life. So look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the life-giving water that the Christian swims in. This is the path between the two cliffs. This is the dance of the Christian life. And in short, it's a Holy Spirit-empowered, faith-filled life of loving service to others. In other words, because Christ has set me free, I use my freedom to love and serve the people around me. Now, this is the craziest part of this whole passage. You know, in the whole letter of Galatians, Paul has been hitting the issue of slavery to performance like it's his punching bag. He just keeps beating up on that thing. But in verse 13, he totally flips the script. Look at it. In verse 13, Paul tells us to serve one another. And the crazy thing about it is that the word for serve here is a word that actually means do the duties of a slave. He's been saying, you're not a slave, you're not a slave, you're not a slave. But here, when he gets to the dance, he says, do what a slave would do. Be a slave. 
And the point is that you're not a slave to the law. You're not a slave to what people think of you. You're not a slave to your religious performance. You're not a slave to your flesh. You're free in all those ways. But because you were so radically free from every shackle and because of all that God has done for you in Christ, now you freely offer yourself as a slave to the people that God puts in your life. You use your freedom to joyfully serve others. That's the, that's the dance. And so look at what he says in verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's saying is that all the other dance steps that you find in Scripture for how you relate to other people, all of those things, they're essentially outworkings of this central principle of loving your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll end up fulfilling all kinds of other commandments automatically. So the way that you serve others is by loving them as yourself, by doing for them what you would want done for you, by thinking about how you can intentionally love and serve them, and then actually going and doing those things. So here's the flow of Paul's whole argument in this letter. God has done so much for us. He's made us his kids. He's set us free. He's given us an inheritance. Like God has hooked it up for us. And because of that, Christians are totally free to love and serve others in all kinds of tangible ways. And what this means really practically is that we are to intentionally look for tangible ways to love and serve the people that God puts in front of us every single day. That's what we do. That's the dance. And the place where I see this principle play out the most in my life is with my wife. I'm just going to brag on my girl for a minute here. She's going to be real embarrassed, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, Kinsey is incredible. She takes amazing care of our kids. She thinks through a menu, does all the grocery shopping, and prepares a feast for me and two little monsters pretty much every night. She decorates our house and makes it this welcoming space that invites people to come in, feel welcome, feel at home, find rest and respite. She does all these tangible things that serve me super well. And it's not just me. Like lots of y'all in this room can testify to what I'm talking about. Kinsey sent you notes. She's brought you meals. She's watched your kids. She's invited you over. She's listened to your struggles. She's prayed for you. She's invested in your life. But why does she do it? It's not because like I give her a list of rules she has to keep to to remain my wife. It's definitely not because she's getting paid for all of it. And it's certainly not because of all the praise that she gets from our kids for all of her labor. You moms know what I'm talking about? It's not because she has to. She's not a slave to anyone. She's completely and totally free. But precisely because she's free, she she chooses to use her freedom to love and serve me and our kids and our neighbors and all the people around us. She does it all out of love. And that's the dance of the Christian life. When we really hear the music of the gospel, it sets our feet to dancing this dance of loving service. Because God has loved us and set us free, we freely and joyfully love and serve our neighbors as ourselves. That's what we do. And in the weeks to come, we're going to see lots more practical dance steps. But today, and especially in this Christmas season, may we at least begin this dance by being people who look for and who take advantage of opportunities to love and serve those around us. So notice the people that God puts in front of you today and tomorrow. 
and think intentionally about how you can love and serve them. Your kids, your spouse, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people at your gym and the people you pass on the street. How can you love them as yourself? And as you do, don't fall off the cliff of legalism or license, but instead stand firm with the music of the gospel on repeat as you learn to dance this gospel dance of love, always remembering the truth that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are free. You've set us free and you've made us part of your family now and forever. We thank you for the beautiful music of the gospel. It's a music that stirs our hearts and moves our souls and that needs to move our feet and hands as well. Would you make us a people who, who stand firm in that gospel truth? Protect us from falling off the cliff of legalism or license. But help us to stand firm and to be people who will love and serve all of those around us who will use our freedom to willingly become slaves to those in our lives. And would you use us to bring many more to know you as we do. We give you thanks today, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.